0: Now, Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zuber Radio with guest host Jane Brown.
1: While Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was on Broadway last night to attend a performance of the Canadian musical Come From Away, he had a conversation with former NBC News anchor Tom Brokaw about NAFTA and immigration. Trudeau cautioned that President Donald Trump's plan to tear up the North American Free Trade Agreement could hit U.S. jobs. Trudeau explained that his message to the new administration is that good jobs happen on both sides of the border because of the close relationship between the two neighbors. Is this in fact the case? And you're welcome to weigh in with your thoughts as well, 416-360-0740 or one 740 4740 Joining us on Fight Back today is international business law expert Mark Warner. Mark, good to have you along today.
2: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: I'll put that question to you. Uh, is what Trudeau is saying, is that in fact the case?
2: Oh, I think it is. I think that NAFTA has been useful to us in terms of growing the trading relationship and making the supply chains more efficient that doesn't mean that everybody has benefited equally um obviously you know when you part, when, when you do a trade agreement there are some sectors that benefit more than others but on balance i think it's been positive and uh i think that we would want to maintain it um having said that it's a 20 year old agreement now and um it probably does need to be updated because uh whole sectors of the economy didn't exist uh, back in 94. I don't think we were all surfing the information superhighway quite as much in 1994. So we need to reflect the changes in the the development of the digital economy. So there are all sorts of areas where, where it can be updated and improved. Whether those would be characterized as tweaks or not is a different matter, but it's certainly something that needs to be improved.
1: And it wouldn't be unprecedented, uh, at least according to the prime minister. He also told Tom Broca that NAFTA has been improved a dozen times over the past 20 years. So it is, I guess it is revisited. Maybe it just hasn't been revisited in as high profile a manner as what we've been hearing.
2: I'm not sure what he was talking about there um, specifically. I mean, it has been improved. I mean, it built right into NAFTA was the notion that you could request accelerated tariff reductions, and I have a feeling that's part of what he's talking about. Other than that, we did sort of amend it once by agreement of the parties on rules of origin and how they'd be calculated and uh, also in certain rules for um, how dispute settlements and investors for date chapter would work. So I, I wouldn't be thinking that it's as close to a dozen times unless you were being very generous, but I don't know what specifically he was looking at, but clearly it has been updated. But I think what we're looking at now would be more significant uh, updates of a kind that we probably haven't done before.
1: Mark, let's have a conversation, and since you're an international business law expert, you can probably put things uh, in layman's term. Uh, a, a quick course on NAFTA for dummies. Okay what, what is it that what is it about NAFTA? How does it work between the two nations effectively? The three nations, so including Mexico. The three nations, so, yes. So
2: basically what NAFTA is, is is a basic trade agreement that deals with lowering the tariffs that are applied at the border for goods that are basically imported into Canada from Mexico or the U.S., and we agree to give them a preferential tariff rate. So that's at the most basic thing, what a trade agreement does. And then in recognition of the fact that trade and investment are linked, Round about the you know the, the 1990s, the early 1990s, people began saying that we need to also liberalize trade in services like telecoms, or um, you know, air, airplanes or whatever, banking, and uh, even people who want to do work in, let's say, uh, in in digital media stuff so people professionals moving across the border so we have a whole category of professionals whether nurses or lawyers who can cross the border and work so services have been liberalized and often when companies go across the border in terms of investment well they want to bring some of their managerial staff or key personnel so we began to realize that if you really want to get all the benefits from liberalized trade you've got to begin to open up trade not just in goods but also in services and not just in goods and services, but also in investment. And that's what NAFTA does. Um, it does it's, it, and then after NAFTA, we negotiated another agreement multilaterally, the World Trade Organization that reflects and in some ways goes beyond what we did in NAFTA in terms of services and other areas. But that's the basic structure of it. And uh, the argument uh, now is um, – you know, does it need to be refreshed a little bit in terms of, as I said, adding some of these new sectors that didn't exist before? I mean, if you're somebody who works, let's say, in the uh, in the industry of uh, digital media studios and that sort of thing, you can kind of get across the border, kind of, sort of, by saying that you fall into one of the existing professional categories, but it's not that easy. So that's the kind of thing where I think from a Canadian point of view, uh, we would want to be improving on. From the American point of view, they would probably want to say, certainly Mr. Trump believes that the United States has lost some manufacturing jobs. And he, from what we can guess, wants to sort of improve on the rules of origin that are applied, particularly in the the auto space. And that basically means how much of the product has to be uh, manufactured in one of the three NAFTA countries, Canada, the United States, or Mexico, to qualify for the preferential treatment.
1: We're having a conversation with international business law expert Mark Warner, and your questions of Mark are welcome. 416 360 740 740 4740 Our conversation today is prompted by comments that Justin Trudeau made last night uh, while in New York and watching a Broadway performance of Come From Away to anchor Tom Brokaw, former NBC anchor Tom Brokaw, about NAFTA and immigration, saying that if Donald Trump, tears up the North American Free Trade Agreement, it will hit U.S. jobs. It will affect the middle class. So, Mark, I understand you're not a strategist, but in terms of strategy, speaking to Tom Brokaw with his message, which certainly will get back to Donald Trump, was that a savvy thing to do because he's hitting Trump's key words of jobs and middle class? Um I
2: think it is, but I mean, I think he's walking a tightrope. And some of these things, I wonder whether they're not directed more at the domestic market here in Canada than they are in the United States. Um, I think there's some advantage to saying these things in the United States. Um, As someone who lived and worked in the United States, I do believe that at some point it's possible to cross the line. I think uh, if you look like you use the word tweaking, if you look like you're tweaking him too much on immigration or some of these uh, sensitive trade issues – my question is: At what point does he fight back? And presumably, if you've got his daughter uh, sitting next to you, then he's not going to fight back on that particular moment. But he is an erratic, irascible character, and uh, so I think it's, it's generally positive. I, I, I just uh, I think there eventually there will be limits to um, how wise it is to go right into the belly of the beast. Obviously, you want to you want to lobby the governors and you want to lobby the industries that are affected, but I, I wouldn't think you'd want to be taking him on too frontally. In his own country, and you know, if you're doing it in New York, you're in a pretty safe surrounding. I'm not sure about Houston, (laughs) but but uh, but you know, at some point, I think it's something that they've got to be careful on how they modulate that.
1: Well, certainly, Prime Minister Trudeau has been very careful when it comes to talking about Trump's controversial immigration policies. In fact, part of that conversation last night with Tom Brokaw. Tom asked uh, Prime Minister Trudeau about Canada's more relaxed immigration policy and whether it will pose a problem in the future.
0: Right. What's going yeah, to be the impact of that long term? Not just politically, but economically and culturally. We'll agree to disagree on certain things, but
2: I know and I've always felt for Canada that we recognize that diversity is a great source of strength and that's something that we're, uh, we're open to in the world. So if I'm an immigrant in the Middle East and know that I can't get into the United States, so I just turn my dial and say, I'm going to go to Ottawa. Last year we took in 40,000 refugees as well, uh, but we have a rigorous process that does take years. And, and, and it's, it's something that is important uh,
0: that we get right because Canadians understand how important it is uh, to bring in people who can uh, be integrated and succeed. And that comes from the full diversity of the planet.
1: Yes. So, Mark Trudeau has been very careful not yes. to uh, not to weigh in on Trump's policies, and yet, because in effect they don't directly relate to Canada's immigration policies, but when it comes to NAFTA, he he is entering his comments and his cautioning and and his warnings, so to speak. So he's yeah. being very careful. Uh, he's choosing his issues carefully. Day. I have
2: to be honest with you. I I don't know that he. I wouldn't say he's being very careful. I think that. Uh, to go into another person's country, another leader's country, and to basically say, hey, this is what we do on immigration, and we do it differently. I, I'm not sure. I just don't know how Trump will hear that. I think that in Canada, it clearly is being played as being very careful because we'd like to see him do more. Um, personally, I, I'm not sure how that wears or will wear in the United States as being very careful or not. Um, and, and I think there's also, a ten, there's also at some point there are, 9 million, there are nine million people apparently I think who are undocumented in the United States or some high number like that. Um, you know, at what point does Mr. Trump say, okay, Mr. Trudeau, if you really do believe it, take them all, not 40,000? So it's, it's it's kind of a smug Canadian thing that we're good at. Um, I don't know. I think at some point, though, even the way he's doing it isn't going to wear all that well in the United States even though I think it plays very well in Canada.
1: Well, and that brings up an interesting line of conversation, and perhaps you'd like to weigh in on that as well. 416 360 740 740 Do you like the way Prime Minister Trudeau is so far diplomatically... Going uh, into the United States and and uh, promoting Canada for our immigration policies and promoting NAFTA for what it brings to Canada as well as in the us. And Mark, you know there are some stats to back up his claims about NAFTA right. and how it would uh, negatively affect. The U.S. job market, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce says the United States conducts more than $3.2 billion worth of trade with its North American neighbors every day. NAFTA brings export revenue worth $36,000 for each and every American factory worker. There was also a study published in January by the Center for Automotive Research suggesting the withdrawal from NAFTA or the implementation of punitive tariffs could result in the loss of 31,000 U.S. jobs. So right. clearly Trudeau knows of what he's speaking on some yeah. level.
2: Yeah. No, I think all of that's true. Now, I think the difficulty here is, um, to my ear, somebody who spent the last 18 months you know, saying in interviews and whatever in Canada that, look, don't overreact to what's Trump saying. And then after we had the famous Oval Office visit, when Trump said we we're going to tweak it, I seemed to do a whole batch of interviews where I was just advising people, uh, don't think that the game is completely solved because he used the word tweak. Um, I think we've got to find somewhere in the middle in Canada between being between uh, apocalypse and complacency. Uh, and look, there's some things an American president can do with trade with a trade agreement, and there's some things he can't do. When he talks about making minor changes and tweaks to the agreement, that's something he can do, a president can do, within his own sort of executive authority. Once you start doing broader changes, once you go to Congress for approval under what's called fast-track authority or trade promotion authority, then you get into all the demands from all the senators and congresspeople and all the bilateral irritants. And that's a process that an American president really can't control, even if he or she wanted to control it. So, yes, I don't think that the administration in the U.S. is talking so much about ripping up NAFTA anymore. But once it's notified, uh, the president notifies Congress of his intent to renegotiate it, then you start getting into this, uh, into this process that, that, that really by its nature cannot be simply a matter of tweaking. And frankly, comments by the prime minister on Broadway will not change that.
1: All right, we'll take your calls now. Tony from Fort Erie, go ahead. What would you like to add today here on Zoomer or radio? Oh,
3: good afternoon. Okay, I was watching uh, Fox News last night, uh, and it was the um, Carlson Tucker show at 9 o'clock. Yes. And uh, he was asking uh, Mr. Trump about uh, integration of Muslims into his own country, the same way we were doing it here in Canada. He said, what do you think, how it would work? And Mr. Trump said, I don't think so. That's what he exactly said. I don't think so.
1: So, in other words, he doesn't see Muslims coming from any nation being able to in- be integrated into the U.S. Is well, that?
3: He said it was going to be very hard. He says, like usually, he always says, "Look at France, look at Germany, look at Belgium." He says it's a mess. We don't want that here. And that was the end of it.
1: And that was it. Did did Carlson push him any more on that? I did hear some clips this morning when I was going through my research uh, for the morning news, but. Well,
3: he really wasn't pushing him too hard. Uh, I don't think he wanted to because, you know, the way Mr. Trump is, he's pretty, you know, a little bit uh, on the nasty side. So uh, it just went there. And he just forget, more or less, he was trying to say, forget about them coming in, in big numbers into the U.S. He says, look what's happening in Europe. And then he started about Sweden. And they said it was all fake news. Then the day after, they're burning up buildings and cars and and everything else. So, I don't
1: know. Well, I want to put this to uh, Mark Warner, our international law expert on the line. And Tony, thank you for your call. Uh, what about the things that he's saying, the anti-Muslim rhetoric, uh, at the same time as his ban is now being held, the, the revised ban is being held, did not go to in, into effect at midnight as right. it was supposed to do?
2: Well, I think, you know, this is the tough one for him. I mean, he obviously campaign and won on the anti-immigrant sentiment, and he's tried uh, to bring in both of those uh, executive orders, and I don't think he's going to change his mind on that. What, what's great about the American system, from my point of view, is that they've got this great system of checks and balances, right? You've got, the, you know, the judiciary can stand up, as we're seeing now, and challenge them. Um, you've got uh, the various uh, companies, you know, corporate leaders are standing up in terms of the, particularly in the high-tech area that are affected by some of these immigration bans. So I think for the next four years, we're going to see a lot of people um, fighting back and resisting in different ways, and and with any luck, the system will work. Um, having said that, um, you know, wearing my American lawyer hat, because I'm both, I would caution people from reading too much into a district court decision from Hawaii. My fear is that once this goes up the chain to the American Supreme Court, as it ultimately will that Trump will have the stronger hand in the arguments there for some technical legal reasons. And um, that uh, may be a danger in in declaring premature victory on some of these things.
1: And we've used the word tweak a lot uh, so far in the show. Uh, Has he tweaked the ban enough that it meets legal requirements? Well,
2: you know, here's what it comes down to. An American president traditionally in American law is seen to have a wide discretion in foreign affairs. In fact, what's interesting, Jane, is that if you take a look at the cases that I would look at to figure out how much a president can do in the trade law area, those cases that are referred to there are almost identical to the cases that are referred to in the immigration area. They sort of go, they cross-refer to each other. Um, So generally speaking, in the foreign affairs area, an American president is seen to have very wide powers, some of it delegated. Further delegated by the American Congress the, the question of tweaking on the immigration stuff it really if it's just strictly a question of what's in the president's power he would win hands down and I don't even think it would be close just basically on the law what what this judge in Hawaii has done is said look based on your rhetoric in the campaign we're going to use that and infer from that that you as a president didn't have a valid purpose you had an unconstitutional purpose a discriminatory purpose that violated the protection on freedom of religion now, that is a case that has never gone to the Supreme Court before, and I believe no court has interpreted in the United States. That, that's going to bring two conflicting values. Can you, in the middle of a campaign, take the hurly-burly of a campaign and use that rhetoric to infer something about the president's discretion? And if you do that, are you going to bring the courts into basically questioning all of the foreign policy decisions of a president? I, my guess on that, and different legal scholars will, de- will debate it, is that that's a hard argument for the president to lose on.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Oh, no. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown.
1: Prime Minister Trudeau was in New York last night for the opening of the musical Come From Away on Broadway. While at the theater, he was interviewed by journalist Tom Brokaw about NAFTA and immigration. And he he cautioned Donald Trump, the U.S. president, of tearing up NAFTA, saying the document could be tweaked but not torn up because if it were to be torn up, it would cost thousands and thousands of U.S. middle-class jobs. We're taking your calls here for international law expert, international business law expert, Mark Warner. Let's go to Al in Brantford. You have a question or comment, Al? Yes.
3: I would want to know if he's got any numbers in his head right there uh, regarding how many Asian companies have came into Mexico, built plants, and used that part of NAFTA with Mexico to backdoor into the United States and Canada. Hmm. I do know one line that left Oshawa, the car line from GM. They took it from Oshawa to Mexico. The cars were being built down there for a daily wage of what it cost GM for one hours, or pardon me, a uh, uh, one hours labor in Oshawa. They were paying for one day's labor in Mexico, but the cars were coming back to both U.S. and Canada with no reduction in 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 uh, in the price.
1: Okay, great Can you question. That? Great question. Go ahead,
2: Mark. Yeah. So I think if if you take a look at what we have in the world in the auto industry specifically, there are three basically auto-producing parts of the world. There's sort of Europe based around Germany, if you like, largely, and you've got Asia based around Japan and Korea, and then you've got NAFTA with Canada, U.S., and Mexico. And if you take a look, it's a really good work that's come out of a think tank in Washington called the, the Peterson Institute. If you take a look at that, you'll see that Each one of those regions has a sort of low-wage jurisdiction attached to it to produce some of the products because it's just the way it is. Some of the things um, that go into making a car um, are, you know, you need to produce uh, very cheaply. And that's not – Mexico fulfills that function with NAFTA. Some of those other countries in Southeast Asia uh, fulfill that function within the Asian auto uh, market – And Eastern Europe, or what we guess what we now call Central Europe, fulfills that function as well as some of Southern Europe in the in the in the the European market. So, so I think that it's fair to say that 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 has affected some of the production. But what you need to look at it too is the overall rise of investment. You know, if you look at Canada, for instance, just to stay with Canada, the, the the days when the Detroit Three were the major part of production of autos, maybe that's about 20 years out of date now. Now we have the tremendous uh, production or, uh, here in Canada from Korea and, manu- and the Japanese manufacturers. So, so they've actually invested in Canada in part because they want to take advantage of those NAFTA rules of origin and assemble the cars and then export into the United States. So, if you, when you do these kind of calculations, you've got to look both ways in terms of the overall more efficiency of the North American supply chains. So let's call it the Detroit Three and as well, the increased investment in trade that's come from the Asian manufacturers who have set up in Ontario and in Mexico also to export into the United States. So it's a net positive, but as I said earlier, not everybody benefits equally in every single market. Um, the theory of trade is maybe it works best for us in, in, in another market because we're selling more oil or we're selling more higher end auto, um, higher end manufacturing, advanced manufacturing products or maybe it's more agriculture, or maybe it's the high-tech, skilled digital media people from Canada who are trained at Ryerson and who want to go work in Hollywood. And so you've got to look at the whole. You really can't pull apart one sector, I think, when you look at trade.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today, Mark. We were all schooled a little bit more than we were a half hour ago on NAFTA, that's for sure. (laughs) Thanks for having me. International business law expert Mark Warner.